Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi guys, I'm Giselle. And I'm Leo. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Crimes and Cannabis. A true crime podcast where we enjoy some of the best herbs Arizona has to offer while diving into some crazy true crime stories. This podcast contains talk about violence, sexual abuse, child abuse, rape, and a ton of other horrible things, so listener discretion is always advised. Hi friends. Today we are puffing on some blue guava. We're recording on a kind of normal time tonight. So, you know, we have some sativa in our Dutch master. It said that it's uh, known to be like a huge stress reliever, which a bitch needs right now. So (laughs) Um, I'm loving it. But before we jump into the case, I just want to give a few shout outs. First, I want to thank all you listeners for continuing with us on this journey. We are loving your feedback and trying to incorporate it for future episodes. Yes, sir. So far, we've gotten 11 five-star reviews. And to you, that may be nothing, but to us, it's major. So, woo! Freaking to the roof in here. (laughs) We could have gotten 11 one-star reviews, so we'll take it. Yep. We also got a fantastic review on Apple Podcasts. That was super sweet. Mm -hmm. So I thank you guys for consistently making my day by listening to our episodes. We appreciate you so much. For this case, we're getting super close to home. Some of us that live in Tucson and maybe even Arizona as a whole might remember this case because it was huge and all over the news when it first broke out. Wasn't it recent or no? Kind of recent, not too, too recent, though. But it's also a great example of how the media grabs onto a story and dramatizes it, which can either really help or really hurt the family. Yeah, Most of the time, it's malevolent. Yeah, definitely doesn't help most of the time. Uh, We see that in the John JonBenet Ramsey case as well. Uh, The media, the media. The media. (laughs) The media sensationalized the case and the parents became murderers or their son, John Bonet's brother, became a murderer. So I'm all for the media and being into political science and criminal justice. Arguably, the media is important to make sure that we have a system of checks and balances. Right. However, when they take the victims and make them suffer more because the media wants to print a good story, it's sad. Yeah, not good. So without further ado, today's case is the tragic case of Isabel Salis and Maribel Gonzalez. This is actually a listener request. So shout out to Vegonia or V underscore S16 on Instagram. Thank you so much for this suggestion. I thought I knew all about this case. And then once I dug into it, I was like, whoa, I def have not been following it. Once again, I'm bringing the story to my home state of Arizona and even to the town that I currently live in, Tucson, Arizona. The crimes were initiated right down the street from my house. And my best friend, Lisa, even knows people who are related to the victim. So close to home is an understatement. I remember clearly when this case happened, I had just recently moved to Tucson and it was all over the news here but we'll get more into that later. Per usual, all my sources will be listed in the show notes. 
but it's all reading articles, newspapers, and police reports, guys. This case doesn't have any documentaries, and there are only a couple of podcast episodes about it, but maybe that will change after this year. Yeah, we really had to dig. Yeah, really had to dig. As always, though, I'm going to be mostly going in chronological order and starting with the victims. So Isabel Salis was the first victim. She was born as Isabel Mercedes Salis on August 27, 2005 in Tucson, Arizona. Her parents were Sergio and Rebecca, or Becky, Salis, and she was the youngest of three children. Her two older brothers were named Julian and Sergio Jr. Nice. Sergio, her father, worked as a dental o- Wait, as a dental office. As a dental office. Hey, I'm the dental office. <laughs> Sergio, her father, worked in a dental office as an oral surgery assistant and also sang opera on his spare time. Okay. Yeah, so kind of out there. I've never met an opera singer, but it's pretty cool. And um, I didn't put this in my sources, but... Or sorry, I didn't put this in my notes, but um, when Isabel went missing, her father actually had like an opera performance that, oh, yeah, like volunteered and like donated to them and stuff for her, which is cool. But I don't know how he was even able to sing. I would be crying my eyes out. Right, for sure. So anyways, he sang opera on his spare time and Becky worked at Tucson Medical Center as a nurse. Isabel was the youngest of three siblings and the only girl. So being the baby of the family, she was definitely the favorite. Her brothers were always super protective over her and looked after her and her entire family just doted on her. Oh, she was like a little baby. Exactly. Nice. Because she was so young when she went missing, there isn't too much information on her young life. So her story starts on April 21st, 2012. So again, semi-recent. This was the day that six-year-old Isabel Salis was abducted from her home in the east side of Tucson, Arizona, near Broadway and Craycroft. Right down the street. Right down the street from us, exactly. Like 10 minutes away. Um, Isa, as her family called her, was an adorable little human on this planet. Her smile and laugh were described as infectious, and she had the prettiest hazel eyes. As always, visit our Instagram for photos from the case. But at six years old, Isa was already enjoying helping her mother with gardening, spending time with her brothers, and she loved playing baseball. Nice. April 20th, 2005, the night before Isa went missing, her family attended her brother's Little League game, and Rebecca Solis remembers braiding Isabel's hair before putting her to bed about 10.30 p.m. Like I said, Isa and her brothers were very close. And even though Issa did have her own room, she loved to sleep in her brother's room with them. However, on this particular night, for whatever reason, Isabel did sleep in her own room. Yeah, dang it. I know, it's always those nights, right? That one time that it happens. Yep. Becky went to work the next day around 7 a.m. She admits that she was in a rush and didn't check on Isabel before she left. Around 8 a.m., her dad, Sergio, went into her room to wake her up for her baseball game with the little Diamondbacks. He didn't find Isabel in bed, though. He found her bed empty. Immediately, him and Isabel's two brothers started to look around the house for her. When they got outside, the oldest brother realized that the window screen on Isabel's window had been taken off and was on the floor outside of the house. Once they realized that this may be more than just Isabel wandering out of the house, Sergio called Becky and told her to get home immediately while the boys went out into the neighborhood to start to look for Isabel. Yeah. Once it was clear that Isa was nowhere to be found, everyone started calling the police. Here's a clip from Sergio Jr., Isa's brother's called to police. Hey, I need you guys to calm down. My sister's gone now. Someone broke in and grabbed her. Hurry, Matt. Okay, what is your name? Sergio Salis. Hey, we have a call in place. Officers are on their way already. Okay. Okay, who else yes. is there? My dad, just people are looking. Okay. Just hurry, Matt. Uh, we are on the way, okay? How old are you, Sergio? 
14 going on 50. Okay, anything else that you know of? Do you know what she's wearing? <laughs> she's probably wearing pajamas. Do you know what color? Pink, maybe green, I don't know. Are you, can you ask what he, she was wearing? Yeah, I can go ask my dad. Okay. I gotta... Stay with me on the phone and go ask him. Alright. Well, you're going back to your house. Does she have any uh, medical conditions? No. She does not have any medical conditions. She's only six years old, man. Okay. Did you guys hear anything? No. no. The screen is off the window? Yeah. Well, it looks like it was taken off. Oh no, man. What's your sister's name? Isabel Mercedes Eli. Who's the one that didn't find her? You or your dad? You know, we're all going to find her. My mom just came home from work and my brother's outside and we're all just trying to look for her, man. Okay. Hey, what was you still wearing last night? Yeah. She was wearing shorts. She was wearing an old Navy American flag shirt. And what, what bottoms? Just the American flag is on them, and I think it's Navy blue shorts. Anything else that she remembers she was wearing? Here. So obviously, he's very worried about what happened. Yeah. And had no idea what had happened to his sister. We're going to play all the 911 clips from Sergio Jr., Sergio, and Becky, just to show the difference between the family's reactions. As I said in the last episode, you can't judge someone off how they react to being a victim of a crime or knowing someone who's a victim of a crime. And everyone has a different reaction. Yeah, but especially with, with trauma. Exactly. And especially like with your young baby, like, you just yep. never know how you're going to react. Yeah. And we can sit here and say like, oh, I know for a fact I wouldn't do that. But until you're in that situation, like you really don't know how you're going to react. Yep. But with that being said, um, I'm going to go ahead and play Sergio's and Becky's 911 calls back to back. Hello. Hello, ma'am. Are you the mom? Yes. Okay. What is your name? My name is Rebecca Sellis. C-E-L-I-S. Okay. Anything else you remember she was wearing and her hair? Her hair is in braids. It's in little ponytails. I made little ponytails on her head last night before she went to bed. Okay, and that was the Old Navy uh, shirt with the flag and maybe shorts? Yes, and she's only five. She's only six. Can you please hurry and get somebody okay, over so here? The office is already underway, man. We're just getting more information from you, okay? Okay. So who, who noticed her gone? Your husband? My husband, I went to work this morning at 7, and um, I just, and I didn't even come and check on her, so don't come and check on her. Okay. All right, just take a deep breath, okay? I know it's hard. She doesn't have any medical conditions? No, she has nothing. I'm sorry, she has what? She has nothing. There's no medical conditions. She's healthy. No okay. allergies, no medical conditions. Okay, you she didn't hear anything hair. at all? No. I didn't hear anything at all. Stay with me on the phone. They're almost there. Her husband also. Hello, I need to report a uh, missing child. I believe she was abducted from my house. Okay, how old? Six years old. Okay, is it your daughter? Yes. Why do you think she was abducted? I have no idea. We woke up this morning. I went to go get her up for her baseball game, and she's gone. I woke up my, my sons. I, we looked everywhere in the house, and my oldest son noticed that her window was wide open and the screen was laying in the backyard. We've looked all around the house. My sons are, okay, running, hang on. Yeah, my sons are running around the house looking for her. The screen was on the ground outside? Yes. What's your address? What's your name, sir? My name is Sergio, F-E-R-G-I-O, middle initial D, last name is C-E-L-I-S. I-S as in Sam? Yes. 
Okay, what's her name? Isabel I-S-B-E-L-M, as in man, is the middle initial. Okay, same last name? Yes. Okay, what's her actual birth date? Okay. Is mom there also? And she had just left for work. I just called her and I told her to get her back home. <laughs> okay, mother. What kind of vehicle is she going to be en route back in? She's coming from TMC, so she should just be coming straight down Craycroft. Has she ever tried to sneak out of a window or anything? Oh, no. Have you guys been having any weird phone calls, anything like that, somebody hanging around? No. We got home late from uh, my son's baseball game, mm-hmm. you know, about 10.30 last night. <clears throat> Everyone took their showers, and they all went to bed. I even was in the living room watching uh, the Diamondbacks game at midnight. Mm-hmm. And I fell asleep, and I never heard anything weird. So I was, like, just on the other side of the wall from her. How, how many siblings does she have? Two. Okay, and those are brothers, you said? Yes. How old are they? Fourteen and ten. Now, I don't even need to say that there's a drastic difference between the way that Issa's mom sounds and the way that her dad sounds. Yep. It's a definite difference. Yeah. It's clear that Becky is completely distraught and completely frantic about mm-hmm. Issa being missing. Right. While Sergio is very calm and even chuckles on the call. Mm-hmm. This is very important to the case because this is a part that the media and the police clung on to to place blame on Sergio and make him a suspect in the public eye. Wow. This part of the story is very sad. And I'll get into that a little bit more a little later. From here, Rebecca leaves work at the hospital to rush home. Um, Just from personal knowledge, TMC is probably five minutes from Broadway and Craycroft. So she she got home super quick. Um, When she got there, Sergio and his two sons were waiting for the police to show up. When the police got there, Becky was there and she and Sergio told the police what they knew from the night before. Mm -hmm. They recounted the story about them going to bed somewhere between 10, 30, and 11 the night before and waking up the next morning to find Issa gone. Nice. Sergio was bombarded with all types of questions, kind of like we heard on that call. Uh-huh. I think he was immediately put under suspicion just because of how calm he was in the situation compared to his family. Yeah. The worst thing from his call that the media hung on to was the fact that Sergio kind of chuckled when he said he was going to tell Becky to get her butt home. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird, but you got to see it's probably like a nerve chuckle. Exactly. Like we said this last time, too, like people nervous laugh. Yeah. So I, I think that's personally what it was. But he was attacked for this. Yeah. Sergio Solis stated and was adamant that he was awake a little bit longer than the rest of the family that evening watching TV in the living room, which was close proximity to Issa's room. But he didn't hear anything nefarious. That's crazy. I know. And he did not hear nothing at all. Yeah. And he even fell asleep on the couch and then woke up around 5 a.m. to move into his bed. And he still didn't hear anything. A neighbor to the Solis family stated that she was awoken from her sleep when her dog started going crazy. Mm -hmm. And she heard voices of males around Issa's bedroom at 6 or 630 in the morning. She says it was light out and early morning, so she didn't think that it was anything to be concerned with. Right. It's not dark time. You don't get that weird feeling. Exactly. And you don't know. Maybe she, they have some workers over there in the morning yeah. or something. You never really know what your neighbors are doing. Yeah. So no one heard anything. And like I mentioned, Isa had her own room separate from her brother's. So it wasn't surprising that since everyone was asleep or watching TV the night prior, they didn't hear anything. Nobody heard nothing. With the police on scene, the search for Isa begins. Tucson Police Chief Roberto Villasenor wasted no time in deploying over 250 officers out and looking for her in the neighborhood and around town. Tucson Police Department began conducting a door-to-door campaign looking for the missing six-year-old. The crime scene unit also thoroughly forensically examined the house and the Los Reales landfill but both were unable to locate anything that would help the investigation. God damn it. Now, you might be thinking, this is super early, so why are they even searching a landfill? 
But according to reports by Tucson police, this is a normal occurrence when dealing with missing persons reports. So those chickens are dead first? I guess. <laughs> I didn't really understand that part. I'm just like, okay, they're just like, okay, let's go check the landfill. Yeah, let's see if they're dead real quick. If not, we'll look around. <laughs> yeah, okay. so I don't, I don't <laughs> Isn't know. is that the last part? Yeah, so... <laughs> Anyways, they didn't find anything there. Um, and at this point, they blocked off the neighborhood and set up a command post screening anyone who came in to make sure that they lived in the neighborhood. Nice. On Monday, April 23rd, two FBI dogs were able to participate in a survey of the Solis home. Mm -hmm. One was a cadaver dog and the other was trained in search and rescue. Wow. Although there were no smoking gun clues found in the survey, Police did indicate that something had been found that needed more follow-up. Okay. And this was never released to the public. Okay. Like, to this day. So you found nothing. You're just, yeah, just so saying, no, we found something. Yeah, so. What is it? We're not going to tell you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I get, like, with police investigations, you got to keep some stuff close to the vest, but, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but after some time, you're like, yo. Exactly. What is it? Yeah, and we still don't know, so. Yeah. Regardless of all these efforts, police and the Solis family were still unable to locate Issa or any information related to her disappearance. Okay. Almost a month later, they still had zero suspects, but the leads were coming in by the hundreds and police were investigating this as a child abduction. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, Sergio Solis, Issa's dad, was on police radar from the jump. Not helping him in this, the investigation uncovered that Child Protective Services had come into the Solis home just five months before Issa's disappearance. Mm -hmm. And by May 15, 2012, Child Protective Services and the Solis family came to a mutual agreement that Sergio was to stay away from his young boys, Sergio Jr. and Julian. Why? I don't know. They're, they never came out publicly about why this happened or what the agreement was, just that that was the agreement which really sucks for his son because at this time they were 10 and 14 years old. Yeah. So this was very hard on the family and Becky was recorded many times saying how good of a father Sergio was to his children and how much he loved his boys and Isa. Mm -hmm. So not only was this family missing their little baby girl, but due to the suspicion on Sergio, they couldn't even have their father, their rock around them. Yeah. Whack. Of course, there was not nearly enough evidence to say that Sergio was involved, let alone arrest him. Yeah. So police had to keep investigating. By May 26, 2012, as reported by Daily Mail, detectives and crime scene personnel searched the Solis home where they were able to find some interesting clues. Okay. 550 pages of documents from the investigation were released to the public, and although there was no suspect yet, the details of the crime scene were noteworthy. The police document said that there was blood located on the floor of Issa's bedroom. Oh, God. They also stated that they found a dark red-brown substance on a shower curtain that was turned up during a search in a car on the family's property. What? The search wasn't limited to just the family home either. Police were following up on every lead they were getting, some of which even took them into Mexico. What? TPD, or Tucson Police, was able to work with Mexican authorities to be on the lookout for hotspots for human trafficking. For example, hotels, bus stations, etc. Oh, right. They also had located and questioned over 500 sex offenders in the area of the Solis home. Goddamn. But no fruit came of that. Ugh. This part is huge and enrages me, but again, we'll talk about this a little bit later. It's also been said that Issa's uncle, Justin Mastro Marino, was also looked at as a suspect for being heavily involved in the investigation and the search, but then up and moving away within about three months and pretty much cutting all ties with the family. Yeah, super sus. Yeah, and Sergio Solis has even recorded like talking about how weird this was and that it was very suspicious. Mm -hmm. So by now, Issa had still not been located. Police had no answers, and as sad as it is to say, media coverage was kind of dwindling or just completely bashing the family. Yeah. 
there were news articles coming out stating that Sergio and Becky had been involved or had even set up Issa to get kidnapped. Okay. There were rumors that Sergio had murdered her or even sold her into sex trafficking because he was involved in gang or Mexican cartel-related activity. Okay, because he was Mexican. Yes. Racist as fuck. I don't even understand where this is coming from. But I'll be the first to say that these allegations against Sergio and his family were 100% false, and there was absolutely no evidence to support any of these claims. Yeah. The media did a huge injustice to this family by even printing these articles, a lot of which have since been removed from the internet. Yeah, because it's just spouting lies. Exactly. Like defaming or whatever that is. Exactly, exactly. I distinctly remember reading or hearing on the news that the father had been involved, and people in the Tucson community even believe that. Wow. This family went through absolute hell. By June 3rd, 2014, police still had no answers in Isabel's case when another tragedy struck Tucson. Oh, jeez. Maribel Victoria Gonzalez was at home around 8 p.m. when she decided she wanted to walk over to a friend's house. Maribel was 13 years old at the time and full of life. She was born on July 12, 2001 in Tucson, Arizona, and was the daughter of Abrian Gonzalez and Valerie Kalonghe. If there was very little information about Isa, there is even less about Maribel. So unfortunately, again, not much information is available on her life before June 3rd. I know she at least had one brother, Remigio Melendrez, but if she has other siblings, it's not mentioned. Right. Maribel was described by her family and friends as very outgoing and so much fun to hang out with. Her mother said she loved to play sports, loved animals, and was all over just a great kid. Nice. Her father said to the media that Maribel was very funny, strong-willed, and acted older than her age. He even said that she thought she was invincible, which worried him, and he always tried to remind her to be careful. Yeah. During this time, Maribel's family was going through a rough time. Not even six months earlier, Valerie, Maribel's mom, had been hit by a car in a vicious attack. The story goes, on New Year's Eve, she was with her boyfriend, Patrick Balbastro, who stopped and got out of his car to try to intervene in a domestic spat between a man and a woman. Uh-huh. After he broke up the fight, the abuser, whose name was Michael Lee Day, jumped into Patrick's car and deliberately attempted to run them all over. Oh my gosh. He was successful in murdering Patrick and his own girlfriend. Jesus Christ. Valerie lived though, but barely, and she was in critical condition. Because her recovery was going to be a long process, Maribel was mostly under the supervision of her grandmother and her aunt uh-huh. so that Valerie could focus on her recovery. Yeah. On June 3rd, 2014, Valerie remembers Maribel coming into her room to get permission to go over to her friends. Despite it being around 8 p.m., Valerie agreed to let her go. When morning came, and there had been no word or sighting of Maribel by her family or the friend whose house she was supposed to be going to, her family reported her missing. Of course, like we see far too often, the police just looked at her age and deemed her a runaway. Right. Nope, she's a teenager? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that for families. Unlike Issa's case, there's not a lot of detail into what actions police took But I'm going to assume and I really hope that she was treated with just as much respect and urgency as Issa was. Yeah, they better have the 200 people in the checkpoint. Yeah, all that. All that. I hope they had all that for her. But again, it's not reported, so I'm not sure. Great. But by June 6, 2014, Tucson police had received a call from an anonymous caller about suspicious activity around the area of North Trico and West Abra Valley Roads. When police got out to the scene, they discovered a huge pile of abandoned tires, and shortly after, they found Maribel's dead body, stripped of all her clothes and buried underneath some of those tires. 
Her body was already in a state of decomposition after three days of being missing, indicating that she had probably been there since the night she disappeared or very shortly after. Following this finding, Tucson Police and the Pima County Sheriff's Office were on the hunt for who, who could have committed this brutal crime. Even though the two girls had gone missing in essentially the same area of town, Broadway and Craycroft, right. within a couple of years apart, the cases were never connected. The police searched and searched, but with zero leads, they had zero suspects mm-hmm. in both cases. Damn. On February 8th, 2017, things started to look up for police and investigators when they got a tip that would finally blow this case out of the water. Ayo. It was this day that the fiancé of a piece of shit named Christopher Clements called the FBI to tell them that the man she loved knew information about the missing child, Isabel Solis. Oh, shit. At this time, Clements was already in custody of Pima County Jail on unrelated burglary charges. FBI agents took this opportunity to go meet with Clemens in jail because at this point, Issa had been missing for five years and investigators were still nowhere near finding out what had happened to her. Yeah, so any lead, they're like, all right, we're going. Exactly. So once the FBI agents got Clemens talking in an interview, the shit stain admitted that he knew the location of Isabel's body, but refused to give them any information unless they worked out a deal with him. Of course. Yeah, typical scumbag. So as I said, he was already sitting in jail facing pending burglary charges and his vehicle was being held in police custody. His requirements were that his burglary charges would be dropped and the car released in exchange for information on what had happened to Isa. I think we'll just give you like a free meal. Yeah. You want a cheeseburger? A dollar. Small fry, bro. Yeah. Well, ultimately, the FBI agents did agree to this. If Clements agreed to personally lead them to the body of Isabel Salis, which he did. On March 3rd, 2017, Clements joined FBI agents, TPD, and the sheriff's office in the search for the missing body. He led them directly to the area of Trico and Avra Valley Road. Where? Right where Maribel's body had been found three years earlier. Okay, so, like, obviously... He did it. So. Although her death had been absolutely ruled a, hum- a homicide, a homicide, police were still nowhere close to finding out who her killer was. Just a bit north of the tire pit where Maribel was found, police located the skeletal remains of a young child, Jeez. complete with a human skull. Damn. From here, they obtained a search warrant, recovered the remains, and sent them out for DNA testing. This testing confirmed that this, in fact, was the body of Isabel Solis and that her manner of death had been homicide. She's been there for a minute. She's a skeleton already. Five years. Nice. Yeah. So, and like we said, in Maribel's case, it seemed as though she got there either the night or shortly after she went missing. So we can assume the same for Isabel. Right. She's been there all this time. That's nuts. After finding the remains... Clements was extradited to Maricopa County in Phoenix, Arizona to face pending charges that he had there. Huh. When he was, yeah, so he didn't get out. When he was in custody, investigators dug into his background. What they found from here was a plethora of criminal activity dating back at least 20 years. They learned that he had been convicted as a sexual offender and that this behavior had started as early as the age of 15 when Clements reportedly was caught molesting a four-year-old baby girl. Oh, yeah. We got you. But ultimately, he was not charged for that. Where? How? Yeah, sick fuck. I don't understand the law sometimes. Investigators were able to tell that from here, Clements had a long history of crime ranging everywhere from Florida to Arizona. Just going around the dang country? Yeah, being a shithead. Even though Maribel and Isabel had went missing in the same area and their bodies were found in essentially the same places, <laughs> investigators still hadn't connected both cases to Clements. No, literally, what? At this point, Clements was even taunting officers, saying that he had video surveillance footage and media storage devices that would show Sergio Solis's guilt. Okay. 
Show it to me right now. Yeah, you have this in jail. Exactly. And he refused to provide any details about this unless all his pending criminal charges were dropped. During the course of this, forensic experts in Maribel's case were able to find a YSTR profile or a short tandem repeat on the Y chromosome from a combing of Maribel's pubic hair. When the DNA profile was sent out to be matched, it was a perfect fit for the YSTR profile of none other than Christopher fucking Clements. Equipped with this new information, investigators were able to obtain a search warrant for the primary residence of Clements. They didn't find any evidence that would point to Issa's father being involved. Yeah, obviously. But what they did find was media devices, cell phones, and letters from Clements and his fiance from the Maricopa County Jail. Apparently, these letters had never been intercepted, and boy, did they have a ton of information for officers. Yeah, like, how are they never intercepted? That's what I don't get either. I do not get it either. In a letter that was dated May 20th, 2017, Clements brags about taking the investigators to the spot that Issa's body was found. He always refers to Issa in the letter as YKW, which police believe to stand for you know who. He tells, yeah, gross as fuck. He tells her and investigators that he did not directly commit these crimes, but that he knows everything about the quote, who, what, when, and why. Yeah. Unquote. Okay. Obviously he did. And he says he has evidence. Yeah. Stop it. He even throws a twist in saying that there's actually four bodies total out in that area by Avra Valley and Trico. All right. We're Help. demolishing the whole place. Yeah. And it, it, it hasn't been confirmed, but who knows? Yeah. Took five years to find another one. So there might be other bodies out there. Oh, gosh. I'm not sure if they've did any searches after this. Like, it's yeah. not reported. So we don't even know if they've checked right, for other bodies. Up on that. Yep. Exactly. By October 11th, 2017, Clement's fiance was talking to the FBI again in hopes to get out of some of the burglary charges that she had in association with Clement's. Oh, come on. She tells them that she had zero information about the girls and that the only reason she even knew to tell police Isabel's name was because Clements had called her, telling her to go into their yard and dig up a plastic bag. When she did, inside, she claims there was a piece of paper with the name Isabel Salise, and that that was the only reason she even knew that name. Gross. He had her in a bag right there? Yeah. Or he... Well, I'll say what they have in the bag, but it's not... He doesn't have her in the bag, just like her name. Oh, okay. It was like a piece of paper. But following this information, TPD was able to obtain a search warrant for that home Mm -hmm. where they found even more evidence. In the corner of the backyard, they found a piece of plywood. Underneath that plywood, they found the plastic Tupperware bin. There were a few things inside, including a faded purple hoodie that was clearly a child's hoodie. There it is. They also found a child's school book with the name Mercedes written on it. Mercedes was Issa's middle name, oh, okay. but it's unclear whether this schoolwork was in fact hers. Yeah, it's probably another victim. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if there's any missing Mercedes that are in Tucson, but maybe we should look into that. Yeah. While searching the residence, Tucson police found out that Maricopa County had actually searched his home prior in relation to a burglary charge. Oh, okay. In this search, they seized numerous computers and media storage devices from the Clements residence. Okay, so we got it already. We got some stuff, yeah. We got some stuff already. When they were given a search warrant for these items, they were repulsed. There were hundreds of images of young girls, ages anywhere between 3 and 13 years old. Jesus Christ. All these images depicted young children in very provocative manners. And there was even one image of a two to three-year-old boy whose privates were being exposed and licked by a dog. Okay, dude. Yeah, literally the most disgusting shit. Okay, you're going to like a deeper prison just for that video. Exactly. It's fucking disgusting. They were also able to see Clement's search history, which included searches like Isabel Salis Sexy. Mm-hmm. Body found in desert. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know nothing. 
Get out of here. Arizona cold cases. Ooh. Trace evidence found on body. Wow. And a bunch of other sus ass shit like that. So clearly it was looking more and more like a foolproof case for prosecutors. Mm-hmm. But in June 2018, investigators got even more of a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Maricopa County did a routine search on Clement's cell in which they were able to find a list of names and addresses of people that Clements had met while he was in jail. Oh, yeah. After doing a few search queries, Tucson investigators were able to determine that one of the men that was on that list was in Pima County Jail in 2017. Okay. When they went to go interview this man, whose name is redacted in the report. Why? He spills every single bean about Clements. Oh, that's why. (laughs) Yeah, but I would snitch on Clements in a heartbeat, too. Fuck that guy. Yeah, true. Police show him a picture of Clements before revealing any information they had, including his name, and the inmate was able to identify him. Yeah, I know that piece of shit. I'll tell you everything real quick. (laughs) The inmate told investigators that Christopher, piece of shit Clements, Mm -hmm. had straight up told him that he had kidnapped and killed Isabel Selene. He said that he had abducted her from her bedroom window, strangled her, and then poured chemicals on her body when he dumped her out in the desert, quote, where the illegals went, unquote. Gosh. He said that Clements had confided in him that he had zero intentions of ever keeping her alive that day. Damn. Which is just so fucking sad. A six-year-old. Who thinks like that? Yeah, and her family fucking cherished and adored her and yeah. went through hell throughout this investigation because of this cum bucket with no regard for human life. Yeah. Now, this is the part that I mentioned I would get back to in the beginning. I told you guys that during the search for Isabel, police had conducted interviews with something like 500 registered sex offenders in the Tucson area. Mm-hmm. What makes me so fucking mad about this is that Clements should have been on that list. By the time that Isabel was kidnapped in 2012, as I mentioned earlier, Clements already had a long history of sex crimes across the country spanning 20 years in four states. Right. His crimes included sex offenses, assault, identity theft, and even burglary. So he was just a shit human being all around. In 1988, he was convicted of attempted unlawful sexual penetration with a foreign object. Oh my gosh. In 2006, he was convicted for failure to register as a sex offender in Florida. Mm -hmm. In March 2012, he was convicted in Arizona yet again for failure to register as a sex offender. Mm -hmm. This charge was overturned in the same year because the arresting officer forgot to read him his Miranda rights. God damn it. That's the first thing. I know. Literally. Like, come on, bro. You had one job. Why are you putting the handcuffs on? What? So he was released from prison and this disgusting pedophile still didn't register, but he was reindicted in 2008, convicted in 2009, which gave him a sentence of 46 months in prison and five years of supervised release. Mm -hmm. But this motherfucker got a bomb lawyer on his appeal and was able to get his conviction overturned yet again on the grounds that he was not required to register in Arizona as a sex offender because he was convicted before the Sex Offender Registration and Notification Act went into effect in 2006. Yeah, but like... What the... But you're still still a sex offender. You still do the crime. Like, I'm so so confused about that. Like, who gives a fuck when that act went into effect? Your client still sexually assaulted multiple people on multiple occasions. Yes. And then fleed. So... So, so yeah. So, like... What the fuck? (laughs) This is the most bureaucratic bullshit I've ever heard. And it breaks my heart because had he been forced to register and follow the fucking law, which clearly he didn't do his whole life, Mm -hmm. maybe they could have found Issa's body way before 2017. And maybe Maribel would have never been kidnapped. Oh, yeah, because he would have been on the 500 list. Exactly. And he he would have been caught for Issa. After being released from prison, though, he moved into a neighborhood literally two miles away from Issa's house, and she was abducted and killed not even a month later. Oh, my freaking Jesus. Because of what? A fucking bureaucrat. Yeah, Yeah. bureaucratic fucking bullshit. Bureaucracy? How do you say it? Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. You got it. Barack Barack Obama. (laughs) 
So clearly this piece of actual shit thought he had just beat the system and he was feeling invincible. He was able to stay out and live his dumbass life of crimes for five years, but he was too fucking dumb to keep his mouth shut. Mm -hmm. September 14th, 2018, a Pima County grand jury handed down the indictment on Christopher Clements. They were going to charge him with 22 felony counts, including two counts of murder in the first degree. Oh, fuck yeah. He was also charged with two counts of kidnapping a minor, 14 separate counts of sexual exploitation of a minor, and second-degree burglary for breaking into the Solis home to take Isa. Right. Tucson detectives Josh Cheek and Jeff Lockwood had been working the case for years and were so excited about this indictment that they got into their car and drove to Maricopa County, where Clements was still being held, to read the charges to him in person. Oh, yeah. We said we got this. Got this, This is my case. I got it. Even though he was still locked up in Maricopa County, his bond was set at $2 million cash for the new charges. Now you're literally going nowhere. Exactly. When all this information came out, of course, it was devastating to the families, Mm. especially the Solis family who had been wondering what happened to their baby girl for over five years. Jeez. The family was grateful that she had been found and released a statement through Tucson Medical Center thanking the community for their ongoing support with Isa, but also begging for privacy and time to grieve. Right. Valerie, Maribel's mom, was overwhelmed with emotions. She had begun to think that her daughter's murder would never be solved. When it was announced that Christopher Clements was indicted, she was in shock. She described it to KOLD News 13 that she was happy and sad. She also states how hard it's going to be in court to sit next to the man who took her child away from her. Ultimately, Clemens is charged with the murder of the two girls and his defense attorney fights to have two separate trials for the girls, which they do win. Are you freaking kidding me? No. Well, they they got it. So he is going to be facing two separate trials, one for Esau and one for Maribel. Why? I don't know, Leo. I'm not, I'm not the judge who made that ruling, okay? What idiot. <laughs> What's so interesting about the timing of this case, though, is that the trial is ongoing right this second. What? By the time you guys hear this, um, the opening statements for Maribel's trial have actually already started. Uh, the trial is going on right now after a long-ass time. Was it publicized or no? It's not going to be... Um, televised yeah but they are going to be reporting on it and stuff so they're not going to allow any um tvs or news in the court just because of course they're minors right um but yeah so that's good it's he's already facing trial yeah and he's Um, gonna lose for sure yeah there's no way there's i mean there's no way yeah there's no way but who knows man sometimes defense attorneys pull some stories out of their ass that will Put in that reasonable doubt. Not today. But, um, so like I said, the jury was selected September 8th, 2022, and the trial is literally going on right now. Um, Isabel's case won't start until February 2nd, 2023. So maybe sometime next year after both trials are all over, uh, we'll do an update on the case and let yeah. you know what happens to him. Right. Um, Like I said, unfortunately, due to the nature of the case and the fact that it includes minors, the judge has ruled that no cameras will be allowed in the courtroom during the trial. Um, However, we will definitely be keeping up with the trial to see what this disgusting pedophile tries to say, because like I said, he is claiming that he had nothing to do with their murders. He just knew who did it. Stop it. Yeah. So although this case is a horrible one and two young, beautiful, innocent children lost their lives. I am happy that it is finally known that Christopher Clements is the puss-filled pimple that did it. Okay, Jesus. Well, what else can you describe him as? Puss-filled pimple? <laughs> Never even heard someone being called that. Well, Christopher Shut up, Clements. Shut puss-filled pimple. Fucking disgusting. I'm actually glad that Sergio Solis and his family can grieve their daughter without being under scrutiny by the investigators or the public. Right. In fact, I'm not sure if I mentioned this earlier or not, 
But one newspaper even released an article specifically giving their apologies to not only Sergio, but the entire Solis family. Okay, now you want to apologize. Now you want to apologize. Exactly. Like I did mention, they completely ripped this family apart. And even to this day, if you ask people around Tucson, they might tell you that the dad did it. That the dad is the one responsible for Isabel's disappearance and death. Wow. I'm here to officially end that narrative. Christopher Clements is the only one responsible, and I'm glad that the girl's parents are still alive to see the end of the trial and see that motherfucker rot in prison for the remainder of his shitty life. Yeah, buddy. So, yeah, guys, that's the case. Um, Like I said, we'll be keeping up with the trial, so we'll keep you guys updated. Next week is our 10th episode, so what an accomplishment. I am so proud of us, and we have a doozy coming for you guys. Schmecker. So make sure to tune in next week. It'll probably be a multi-parter. So expect that. Um, And we hope you guys enjoy. Toodles. See you next time. But as always, let us know what you think. You can send suggestions or feedback to our Gmail at crimesncannabis at gmail.com. And that's N like the letter N, not the word and. You can also find us on Facebook at Crimes and Cannabis Podcast or on Instagram at Crimes and Canapod. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few seconds and give us a rating. And if you're really feeling extra high and happy, leave a five-star review. It really helps us to grow our audience and get these crazy stories out there. Yes, sir. But for now, we hope you stay high and we'll see you next crime. Bye-bye. Stay fly. I hate you. <laughs>